0: Welcome back to the show. Everyone today, my guest is Ethan Helbig. Ethan and I met through his time when he would visit his girlfriend here at university of Delaware, and he would come into hard bad as a place to facilitate his training. Ethan was both a gym owner and a coach, but also a competitor And Ethan eventually worked his way up to competing at the 2018 CrossFit Games, which we talk quite a bit about. But we also talk about his uh, experience playing hockey and how that both developed him as an athlete, but also gave him the discipline necessary to be a high-level CrossFit athlete. We get into gym ownership, operations, best ways of programming for the average person versus a competitor, and everything in between. So I really think you're going to like this one and enjoy. Ethan Helbig, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Derek. I appreciate it. 1,000%, man. So Ethan and I met uh, through his time at visiting his girlfriend at University of Delaware. Yes,
1: sir. And you were, at the time, you were, did you own a gym yet or were you
0: in the plans?
1: No, yeah. I owned the gym before I met Melissa. So I owned the gym gotcha. the whole time that I was coming down and seeing you guys. Did Now, did you meet her through the gym back at home? Um, that's what our parents think, but no, we actually, <laughs> we, we, yeah.
0: we, we,
1: we met on the old school Bumble. So it's, uh, you know. I
0: promise I won't share the podcast link with them.
1: Yeah. Don't, don't do that. Cause they might
0: not appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. No worries. Um, no. So you were coming down and, uh, at the time you had already started being competitive within CrossFit. Um, so you were obviously looking for a place to train like any competitive CrossFitter yeah. was and you had dropped into the gym and she kind of followed you, um, you know, through the door. So that was initially how you and I met. Um, and, uh, I was not only like impressed with the way that you broke down your workouts and the thought process that went into it, but we obviously were just able to jam on so many cool topics involving CrossFit, strength and conditioning and all things fitness and health. So, um, I'm sure there's so much good stuff we're going to be able to get into today. Um, now, one of the things that I find most fascinating with CrossFit athletes is their career before CrossFit. Because I think that it used to be far more likely that people came from like a gymnastics background or a weightlifting background. But now you're starting to see these freak athletes coming out of a lot of different sports. So can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, your origin and the sports that you played before getting into CrossFit?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I was very privileged. Um, as a kid, my dad, uh, had a, had his own business. He had a ton of flexibility. So he allowed me and my brother to both play hockey. Um, so I actually started ice skating at the age of like three, I want to say, um, three or four. And I was playing hockey shortly after. So I would always play like in-house, um, which is essentially like in-house is like, there's a bunch of different teams that all play in the same rink. So in-house hockey is like they get 50 kids together and they they create five teams that just play te- each other in like a rotation just to get them used to like playing the sport of hockey. So we started with like some in-house and then quickly went to travel, um, which I was actually I, I I skated out, which meant like I was like a forward or defenseman uh, my first couple of years. And then around the age of 11 or 12, I think it was, I started playing goalie, which was like my favorite because it was like the little acrobatic like highly skilled individual sport within a team. And I always liked being slightly more individual um, than I did. um, I guess you can say being a part of the team selfishly. I just like being on the ice the whole time. I felt like the attention was kind of like always on me, Um, which was very cool, but very like uh, mentally struggling at the same time. Um, So I played hockey my entire life because when you play hockey, typically that's like, it's year round. So, Some people play hockey as in like a high school sport. I played hockey for travel. So like I had a summer team. We had trip away. We had high school. So I played for two to three hockey teams at a time, which was like 100% time consuming. So I did that all the way from like the age of, let's just say three to four um, before I can even remember all the way up until I was 18.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, there are certain sports where you just find that the culture is much more wrapped up in this expectation
1: of you're here full time. I don't care if you're a kid. And you're starting to see that bleed out into all sports. Like I train a ton of kids that play sports now. And it is crazy that these sports are making these kids do football like year round. It's like as soon as their season ends, two weeks later, the football coaches are already calling them into team meetings in the weight room for next year. And it's like, It's wild. Like I don't remember hockey being that intensive. We had a little bit of an off season, and our off season was by choice if we played summer hockey. Where now it's almost like these kids are like mandatory to be. Yeah, it's like they won't. They won't
0: make it. They won't make it mandatory. But they'll. They'll say, you know, if you want your spot, come back. If you want to play next year, fall. Yeah, yeah. You better better, show up to here. You better show up. Film sessions and
1: training sessions and even walkthroughs. Like it's wild.
0: So in hindsight, do you wish that you had a little bit more of a vast background with sports? Like, do you think you had w- would have wished that you had some different exposure, or you were just completely comfortable with no? Being all so in I on mean, hockey.
1: I mean, hockey was my main sport. Um, I played one year of football, and honestly, I did not like it. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really get along with my coach. So I tried it for a little bit. Didn't like it. That was while playing hockey. So I was doing like multiple sports. Um, I always like combat sports. So like, I did some boxing. I did some wrestling. Things like that helped me with being. Um, a little bit more agile in hockey. So I had a little bit of a background, but like I never played baseball, um, never liked baseball. Football was a one year thing, and then I gave it up. This it wasn't my thing. Um, I'm glad that I made the choices that I did because hockey put me into a career path that helped me, Like, I guess you could say, grow mentally faster than most people. Because like in my years of hockey, I lived away from home my junior and senior year of high school because I played juniors. So like I lived by myself. Um, with like billet families and in some different like like self-sustaining situations where I had to work a job you know I had to do my own laundry I had to cook my own food I essentially had to rely on myself um, to live because like my dad's back at home you know I'm in another part of the state or another state in general playing hockey full-time um, doing school online to so like teaching myself school where you know my only resources realistically were if I had video chats with my teachers. So I think that part of the uh of of hockey and of being forced to be an adult sooner than you are like expected to um a it set me up to be very mentally tough cuz I was always mentally tough on myself both in sport and in life and then also I think it just made me mature to the point where like I knew exactly what career path I wanted to take and I felt comfortable making the decision of becoming a business owner because I knew that at the end of the day, I was going to be able to take care of myself. I didn't need someone to tell me how to, how to live and do and figure things out because I spent, you know, my 16, 17, 18 um, year old years figuring things out on my own. So it just kind of set me up perfectly.
0: Yeah. I think you highlighted, um, A point that's a really big struggle for a lot of parents which is the recognition that freedom often creates responsibility but giving freedom to like a 16 year old boy can be really scary
1: yeah because i mean i even deal with kids uh, at the gym nowadays it's like some of these kids take freedom and totally abuse it because there's like you have the kids that come from a family where once you have freedom you have the right knowledge and things to do with that freedom But then you have the other families where I don't want to get like, like too topical about this, but like helicopter parents where their kids have no freedom at home. And then all of a sudden they get that freedom. And those are the kids that typically turn into partying and drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. So yeah, it's almost like you got to be careful um, with, you know, you have to have the right kid to send out into this world on their own at at that young of an age. But luckily, like I said, um, my dad was very good to me. Um, We had a, a pretty good life. Like we weren't, the wealthiest family in the world but like we we never struggled for what we needed to, su- to succeed or like at least live a normal life um and i think that just made it really easy for like me to watch my dad put me through that made me want to work hard so it's also kind of like he built that into me um just without yeah, without yeah. Him even having to try he just i mean i that, saw how hard he it's an amazing
0: so. gift uh, yeah that's an amazing gift
1: yeah um
0: so just on a quick side note how underappreciated is the position of goalie to the average person that isn't like super involved in the
1: sport 1000% and it drives me crazy whenever I hear people talk about goalies and whenever they've never played hockey a day in their life because it's like it is literally literally the most mental tough position and I wouldn't say all of sports but like it's up there because of how much stress is on that one position like if you have a great game awesome if you have one bad game one bad goal like everything falls back on the goalie and honestly i think that's kind of All why right. i like like that's like a little bit of the i guess i don't want to say narcissist but like that's a little bit of like the uh like the self i liked having that pressure um honestly i loved having those games where like people like people from the other team were chanting like like goalie sucks and stuff like that and you can kind of like taunt them a little bit because like yeah. i said i wasn't the best goalie in the world but i had some talents that um that really portrayed whenever i played so it was just fun for me. I just I, I enjoyed the uh, the individual, the individual like pressure inside of a team sport. It was definitely fun.
0: So how did you take uh, both the skill sets uh, that you had acquired through hockey, um, as well as some of the mental uh, tenacity that you had spoken of, and then applied it and transitioned into a CrossFit career? So
1: honestly, I think a lot of people don't. If you've ever listened to some of the years that I went to regionals, everyone always said like, oh, he was a goalie. So like, you know, he had like a couple screws loose. Um, There's a lot of there's a lot of like (laughs) like um, they're not wrong there. You have to be a little bit kind of like loose screwed in order to enjoy that position. But you also have to have a screw loose to enjoy doing CrossFit at the level that we do it at. So I think that part transitioned really, really well. But a lot of things that people don't realize is that goalie is the only position that goes for 60 minutes straight. And a lot of the times it's not as easy as they give you credit for. Like you're wearing 40, 50 pounds of gear, Um, depending on how good your team is, you could be seeing action for half the game, three quarters of the game. If your team's not that great, you could be seeing 80 minutes of action, which is constant movement. Anywhere the puck goes, the goalie is following. So I had an extreme like level of endurance that most people don't understand when I came to the sport, and I had super strong legs. So when I stepped into the sport, really, it was like building my overhead position. I could already back squat like 405 below parallel the first day I stepped into the gym, never squatting below parallel before, because like my core and my leg foundation was so good. And then I was also the guy that could hop on a rower and pull like a three minute one K and I never rode before in my life. It was just like, this yeah. is going to suck, but like my endurance will get me there.
0: There has been through all of my experience with athletes at the regional and games level and people that have come through our gym and have trained at that kind of level. There has been this commonality, which is they always bring some sort of like freakish ability into the CrossFit space immediately. Mm-hmm. Like they come in and they figure muscle ups out in two seconds or they have like a freakish back squat. It doesn't look good at all, but they can move load. Um, So, yeah, I'm not surprised in the slightest that like your first day and week you were already pumping out big numbers.
1: Yeah. And like I said, the the biggest thing that I had to my advantage was the way that I could build an engine. Because I mean, you even hear it like um, in 2018, whenever I did well in the triple three event, everybody was super surprised that a guy of my size was able to like, do that workout as fast as I did. Um, But honestly, what they didn't realize is that I was heavy as a goalie too. Like it's not very often you see a goalie that's a that's two hundred and twenty pounds at six foot. Yeah, I was going to say, aren't most goalies pr- fairly small, like one sixty five? Dude, they're like six four, like 170, 185. So like for oh, me wow. to be so it,
0: it benefits to be like Gumby, like tall, yes, lanky, yes. skinny. So okay.
1: I was a short goalie, but also heavier than everybody by like like forty pounds. So I was always the like anomaly in hockey, and it kind of transferred over in, into into CrossFit. Because like I said, I had to figure out a way to be 220 pounds, which I I was just built this way. I didn't choose to be 220 pounds. But I had to figure out how to play 60 minutes, if not longer of hockey, and build the endurance structures to do that at a very high level. So transferring over to CrossFit, where it's like, Oh, I only got to do this for like 40 minutes, unless you're on a marathon, like, okay, I've I've done longer. (laughs) Yeah. So now
0: what you we highlighted, obviously, some of the things that were already Strengths and talents for you when you came into the CrossFit space. What were some of the things that you found were weaknesses or took a little <laughs> bit longer to pick up?
1: Upper body. I was all legs, so like even to this day, my bench press is nothing to like be great at. It's getting better, but like doing muscle ups, like bar muscle ups, ring muscle ups, pull ups. Um, a lot of my gymnastics took a long time to build, and once we started creating systems with my coach to uh, to progress those movements, um, which really wasn't until like 2016 or 17 that we really started to get progress out of it. I always fell apart on workouts that had me doing like, like dips, uh, muscle ups, things like that. Now my overhead position was always super strong for some reason. I don't really know why, uh, never really played a sport where I had to do anything like overhead. Um, I think maybe it was because I got so used to being like, like holding my hands in one position. So steadily, I just built a lot of the, um, accessory muscles that allowed me to stabilize but honestly the um, anything pressing um, other than overhead press I mean like like push-ups ring dips anything in that nature was gotcha. and still is like kind of my Achilles heel.
0: Yeah, I think part of what you were experiencing was likely the fact that oftentimes the limiting factor for most people overhead is is the lack of scapular control and stability Mm -hmm. and the lack of that T-spine mobility. So just by the nature of having, like, good shoulder flexion and being able Mm -hmm. to set your back correctly, you have such a huge advantage over the athletes that can't.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, that's everything that a goalie is because, like, you're literally holding your hands out in front of you using T-spine, scap, everything like that for right. minutes if not hours at a time. So yeah, yep. I mean, that 100% checks out.
0: Okay. Um, now, you know, you, I'm assuming, started with some basic local comps and probably yep. the CrossFit Open and, and did the typical tr- you know, track that most uh, athletes would take in order to start competing at higher levels. Um, when was there a moment where you're like, okay, like, I think I'm gonna give
1: this a go. I think I can go to regionals and make some noise. I mean, like I said, without being too arrogant, I before I even got into CrossFit, I thought it would be something I'd be good at just because I always enjoyed that style of working out even before I was doing CrossFit. Like for hockey, I used to do the seven-minute burpee test twice a week. Like I was at the point before I started CrossFit where I could do 140 regular burpees in like like a seven-minute test. That might not be like an exact number, but like it yeah, was things ballpark. that like I, yeah, it was things that like I roughly enjoyed, Um, that and like biking. So I knew that once I figured out the movements, I already had like a talent for, for it. But honestly, the first event that ever made me realize like, yo, you could potentially go to the games was the year that I actually podiumed at Wadapalooza in the RX division. And I was only a 19 year old kid whenever I did that. So I was a 19 year old kid, second year ever competing on like a big stage at Waterpalooza. And I actually put together a performance that allowed me to hit third, um, which was awesome because it's like I'm a 19-year-old kid competing against all these guys that are like late 20s, maybe even 30s. I don't even really have like my fundamental strength yet. But I was just able to game plan and like think my way through a competition on like okay, where's your strengths? Where's your weaknesses? How do you need to attack these workouts to pick up points? Where do you need to have damage control? And it was, I don't know, it was just really cool to see. And then everybody after I had that performance is like, if you've never been the regionals, you're definitely going to be there soon. And we'll probably see you at the games. And it happened sooner yeah, than we thought. Awesome. But that was the event. So,
0: so, you know, you regionals has obviously changed in its formatting a little bit, but, um, I was there the year that you qualified. Um, at regionals. Yeah. Yeah. In 2018. So, you know, you, you go through the local comps, you hit a confidence builds, you go to regionals. Did you have a really good feeling going into that regionals given the events that were laid out?
1: Yes and no. Um, actually I, so I have this notorious thing of, I perform way better on the competition floor than I do in my own gym. Um, you put me in front of people and you put me against my competitors and I just like kind of pull it out. And I PR would every single workout at regionals than I did in training. And I did two separate mock regionals. I don't think people understand how much of a rarity that
0: is. It's hard. Like almost always, people PR in the gym because it's just they're not. It's not just a matter of the sensation or the feeling of being at home. It's also like you get to pick where the equipment is. You get to warm up as much as you want, and then go out whenever you feel like it. At yep. regionals, like you could be standing in you know a labyrinth for for twenty five yep. minutes before you go out for a max snatch. So it's like a totally different
1: um, yeah stimulus. And like I said, I just always liked the pressure, and I've always liked the crowd. I played a sport that allowed me to play off the crowd. Um, so like when the crowd gets going in during an event, like it just, I just lose all feeling and just go nuts. It's so much fun. So, and not everybody can zone in on that, um, where it's like, like I said, at both years at regionals, 2017 and 2018, I PR'd every single workout on the floor, which was awesome. That's like, that's what you need to do. You need to have showings. You don't need to have blowouts. So
0: yeah. So what was it like for you to stand on the podium for the first time, realize you're going to the CrossFit Games, and then ultimately to compete at the CrossFit Games?
1: Honestly, it was a shock because we weren't really ready for it. Um, we focused so hard on having a good showing in 2018 that we kind of like peaked at regionals, which isn't what you want to do. But it was also, it was only my second year working with my coach. We were still trying to figure some things out. I was his experimental athlete getting to the games. And it was honestly one of those things where we were planning on having a good showing in 2018 to have a great showing in 2019. Um, And the thing that people don't realize about uh, the old regionals format was depending on the weekend that you had, which we were the last weekend, that's two less weeks you have to recover and get ready for training for the games. So being a rookie athlete, I just peaked, had my best performance ever at regionals. Um, and then all of a sudden I got to take three days rest, turn around and get ready for the games. It was just kind of like um, it was it was an honor and it was amazing to stand on the podium in 2018. And looking back now, I'm glad that we did because we would have waited one more year. I never would have had that opportunity potentially. Um, but it was honestly just like it was a shock, but I never felt like I didn't belong there. I just felt like this came sooner than I thought it was going to it was honestly my thoughts and opinion.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was amazing to watch as a, from a spectator standpoint, and especially since I had seen you um, training inside of Hardbat the times that you were there. Um, it's always so cool when you see someone dedicate that much time to their craft and then finally to see all that come to fruition and and making it to the CrossFit games is just such an immense accomplishment for anyone that's able to do that. And year after year, it just gets harder and harder because the pool grows and the talent just increases.
1: And it, it just feels like even nowadays, like these guys are putting up numbers that almost don't seem realistic anymore. It's like, it's, it's getting wild and it's getting harder and harder and harder to qualify. And I think we're just going to continue to see that level and that bar get pushed. I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, and especially as the purse grows, um, and as just the knowledge of CrossFit grows, and then also you're having this whole wave of kids that have been training in nothing but CrossFit since they've been like five years old emerging onto the competition scene. And you're seeing like a whole different type of
1: athlete. Yeah, it's, it's, The future of the sport is going to get to the point where I think it's going to be more rare to see repeat champions, but even to see repeat athletes, like I think it's going to be one of those things like the Olympics where you see somebody show up, they have their performance, and then only like the top five or so will actually be repeat athletes. Now, I don't think that's tomorrow, or maybe like another five to 10 years from that. But it's going to be eventually such a big pool where qualifying is going to be who trained the hardest, who recovered the hardest. Who did the programming layout for the best in the qualification rounds? And then who's going to have a heck of a performance on game day when it comes to August? So,
0: Well, I think for much of the audience, they would prefer that it's more competitive. You know, I think people get while there's the, the mystique that's around, you know, watching Tia and Matt just dominate for five, six years in a row, um, I think people love to see the dog fight between three, four athletes. All this year was so much fun to watch spots.
1: for the men. It was honestly so much fun. I would agree. Yeah, it really and, was. And
0: even for the females, I mean, those spots two and three were a battle for quite a while. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was nice to see Tia get a push. Now I wish the push would have lasted until like the last day, but it was honestly nice to see that like, Hey, there's potentially three, four, if not five people that are going to fight for that top spot next year. if is not there. And, we yeah, saw T that officially on day retires. one
0: Yep. If T officially retires, I think the women's division is ripe for the taking next year.
1: Yeah. And like I said, That'd I think amazing. it's going to be ripe for the taking for the next three to four years. Because, I mean, you got these 16, 17-year-olds that are coming up winning the, the teen division. But they're they're actually qualifying as individuals. Like, they can choose whether they want to be a teenager or an adult, which is wild.
0: Crazy. Yeah, like Emma Lawson
1: came through and, and just yeah. like pulled
0: the rabbit out of the
1: hat. Yep. And just like that girl that uh, Jacob Heppner's training live something. um, Yep. I I mean, everybody's talking about when is that girl going to make the step? Because I mean, when, when have we ever seen a 16 year old like put 240 plus pounds over her head? That's an adult thing to do.
0: I think the benefit, it it reminds me of, like, why, to some degree, obviously, when you subtract out the mobility requirements of something like gymnastics, Mm -hmm. you are fearless when you're 16. Like, you just haven't been through too many of those bumps and bruises and huge setbacks. So if you're on a roll and all you know is winning and all you know is progress and your rate of adaptation far exceeds that athlete that's 25, 27, 29, like, you go in there with an attitude that – can't be reckoned with.
1: Yeah. I was a lot more reckless when I was nineteen, twenty than I am now. I mean, I will say. I'm sure, I'm sure. Well, you,
0: you have like more people rely on you now, right? Mm-hmm. And you're growing the business, you know, your risks go up. Like it, that's, that's just the nature of getting older.
1: Yeah. Well, um, even just now- like in training, like it, like back in the day, I would have taken that set of back squats that like more than likely I would fail. But if I make this, it's going to be awesome. Where now it's like, mm. it's like, I'm okay with stopping here because I don't want to, I don't want to like injure my back going for this weight. That's only a 50, 50 chance of me making it. Like it's right. those things that when you're younger, a, you don't think about, but B, you're not worried about. And I mean, if you're willing to take those chances and, you, and you're not afraid of them, like you will grow because of it, but you might pay for it later. Is kind of the, sure. the it's kind of like the 50, 50.
0: What were your biggest lessons and takeaway uh, takeaways from the CrossFit Games?
1: Um don't try to lose weight whenever you're burning 7000 calories a day. <laughs> uh that was one thing. So uh, like my background story going into the CrossFit Games is we overtrained. Um we had a serious CNS failure about 3 weeks out from the games. Um I went we went and did a triathlon on a Sunday, uh, a dry triathlon, so it was like a um I think it was like uh it's like a 5k row, a 5K run, and a 15 to 20 mile bike or something like that. And it was like it was like a two-hour event. So it took me like two hours, maybe two and a half hours. Can't really remember. I had a strength session in the morning, felt fantastic. It felt great. And we were taking Mondays off. Um, so Monday, eight is normal. I typically did a refuel day after hard, intensive trainings a weekend. So I probably had like seven or eight thousand calories on Monday just because. Like literally on days where I wasn't training, I was so hungry, I couldn't stop eating, um, which you would think it would be the other way around. But training actually suppressed my appetite. So I would yeah. eat a ton of food on the days where I was resting fully, because it was the only day I could get a little bit of like a surplus um, in me. And then Tuesday, I went into the gym and my boss, my body physically couldn't remember how or put enough power in the power clean 225. We're like, Saturday before that, I was hitting like 330 for doubles. So it yeah. was kind of like a uh like a what the heck kind of feeling and that was supposed to be my last hard training week before I started making my way out to Madison where I would have done some training in Chicago and stuff like that. Um yeah. and we ended up just having to do a complete deload all the way up until the game. So my training went I down. I was going to ask like, what was what was the solution like what was damage control you just deloaded? Uh deload um and then hydration and nutrition, we we decided to stop trying to get down to 215, which is the leanest I had ever been with that much output. And we kind of just found out that like, hey, stupid, you can't train at this high of a level and be at this low of a body weight. Your body doesn't like it. So I've never been in a sport where I've had to cut weight. Um, I've always just been like, hey, wherever you sit, you sit. And this was the first time that we thought, like, hey, if you're gonna compete with the big dogs, you might want to be able to do a couple extra muscle ups or a couple extra pull-ups or run a little faster. And it's like at the end of the day, it just it wasn't the right move. And it was a move that me and all of my coaches made, not just my programming coach uh, made. We just we I truly thought that like, oh yeah, two fifteen sounds great. Um, I'll be heavy, but I won't be the heaviest. I'm used to competing at two twenty-five. So if I can lift like I'm two twenty-five, but do gymnastics like I'm two fifteen, this is gonna be great. And we just found out that it wasn't the best of both worlds that, you know, my best performance ever, um, my best feeling is when I'm at like 225, 230, which sucks to say, because, you know, that's heavy. That's real heavy. But yeah, my yeah, endurance for the games. Yeah. But my endurance and everything feels so good at that weight. Like I'm 225 right now. And I feel like I'm I feel like I'm in the best shape I've ever been in um, right now. Um, awesome. I'm t- but I'm still getting I'm still getting better on a daily basis from my, like, my, my comeback of retirement and injury. Um, and I just, I, I feel my body feels so much better every single day. I'm not as strong right now as I was back then. I'm still rebuilding from taking time off. Um, anytime you take a dip in strength, you got to take the time and the the diligence to build it back up. But like my gymnastics are way better now at a heavier body weight than they were that year.
0: Amazing. So Mm -hmm. now you, um, how long have you been in business with the gym?
1: Uh, So the the gym started in 2014. I was bought bought in as an owner. Uh, One of the owners, there was two owners. They owned 50% each, um, moved to Ohio. So she had to get out. And I was coaching like some kids' classes and a couple adults' classes at the time. Um, And I bought in as half-owner in 2015. And then in 2017 is whenever I bought the gym out fully. So I've been in business by myself since 2015, uh, 17, which is about five going on six years. Okay. So I know that
0: one of the, the troubles for, and this goes for any, any athlete that is then attempting to coach their sport. One of the struggles is being able to, uh, kind of delineate that information and training in a way that is digestible for somebody that doesn't have the natural gifted talents that an athlete might come to the board with. How has being an athlete at the the highest level in the CrossFit Games uh, allowed you or transferred over to you
1: being a coach inside of your gym? So honestly, um, I would say the biggest thing, because not every athlete is great at coaching. A lot of people struggle. They're really good at receiving information, but teaching people information has always been hard. Um, The fact that I got to work with so many world-class coaches And the fact that I have a personable personality where I can connect with people really well. Um, I've kind of always naturally had like a leadership or like a teaching style of personality. I'm really good at relaying information. So when I was an athlete, it was like, soak it up, soak it up, soak it up, apply it, apply it, apply it. And then as a coach, I was able to take those things that I learned and kind of reverberate them in a way that, people could understand so I could take like a really really elite level skill and break it down to the little nuts and bolts that I learned coming through the sport um just to kind of like help people and I think that's the hardest part is that people can't watch other people and then figure out how to fix a movement but that's honestly how I taught myself a lot of things is I would watch coaches teach people and then pick up on those little tidbits go try them myself figure out whether it worked or not and then be able to retain and then teach that information. So honestly, the only thing that I attribute to my coaching style is the fact that because I got to work with some of these awesome coaches is that I've learned the information to physically essentially dump that information back into my gym and working with all of my coaches, my athletes, and anybody who's, who's at my, my facility, yeah, and it
0: sounds like it, it was probably a big help that you were already involved with coaching yes. alongside or parallel to being a competitor. You didn't have this big competitors experience and then try and to then be a try coach. to jump
1: in the coaching. Yes. I would agree with that a hundred percent.
0: Okay. Now, how do your recommendations for someone that is looking to be competitive differ from the general population
1: inside of your facility? So like the general population, honestly, if you're there for health, um, competing or training for competition is not always the healthiest thing. Um, I would actually say that it's probably more of like a regressive state than it is like a progressive state. So like for my general population, the mindset is, is to focus on health. So it's the focus on movement, movement standard, good quality movement all the way across the board. Um, and making sure that you're actually never really going to like 100% or failure that often, unless it's like a testing cycle. Where if I'm training somebody for, for sport of CrossFit, you kind of have to flip the switch and you don't want to push them to the point of injury, but you also have to train them on the mental side of competing because walking through Fran and doing Fran is a tough task. Okay. Mentally, pushing yourself through Fran to have a two, two and a half minute is not physically or mentally enjoyable. And I would say it goes for like both sides, but the mental physical preparation that it takes to do those two different tasks, the the same task that gives you two end results is honestly the difference. So it's actually, if I'm training somebody who wants to compete, it's more so how can we Use your intensity, but also use your game plan to get you the best results and not just, okay, how can we use or modify this workout to better set you up for health? It's just it's two totally different mindsets um, when it comes to health versus sport.
0: One of the things that I talk about all the time is that CrossFit methodology with systems in place is bar none, the best methodology applied inside of a group setting Yes, without systems can be a nightmare. And the example I always give is go to a local competition where they have events for beginners that shouldn't be performing these movements. Like if you've never done a one or a three rep max power clean, the last thing you want to do is get your adrenaline up, be amongst your peers yelling at you and trying this for the first time on on a competition
1: stage. 100% agree. And honestly, um, I would also say that those are the situations that give crossfit as a health methodology a bad name is people take videos of that people put them on youtube they put them on instagram people tear them apart oh this is why crossfit's so bad for you but it's like if you go to a gym that prioritizes health in crossfit it's not like that really anywhere it's i mean it's all about movement standards and healthy movement and and whole movement and you know creating a healthier life not about oh, you need to hit this power clean, because if not, you're going to lose this competition, even if it looks like crap. And if you talk to any high level athlete, like we don't try to look like crap whenever you move, if anything, the top performers in the world move the best. But even the best movement breaks down under fatigue. And it's like training people for sport under fatigue versus training people for health, two totally different mindsets and methodologies, in my opinion,
0: yeah, one of the things that we've done, I mean, and we use level method as our system, just because I've found it to be the best way to, to scale a class um, for a coach like, you know, yeah. I've been coaching for 15 years. And if I have 20 people in my class, or even even 10 for that matter, and we're snatching, the reality is I'm not going to be able to effectively scale everyone and right. their weight and their movements appropriately. So like we personally, we just don't snatch very often at all. And within the level method system, we only allow a very small select group of people who have proven, you know, their proper shoulder flexion and scapular um, stability to even touch or, con- or consider that movement. And occasionally we'll have members that will say things like, you know, oh, like they'll see an athlete doing snatches. They're like, oh, I want to be doing that. I'm like, well, do you also want to do all of the other stuff that they do to facilitate that ability? That's really, that's the question, right? That's where the rubber meets the road is it's like, I think people underappreciate how much time and effort goes into being able to do these other, these more complex movements. It is an earned ability. It is not like you go into a CrossFit gym and you should just start snatching. No. Yes. And to some degree, there's also an opportunity cost associated with that. Like if you have a 60 year old woman come into your gym and she's just looking to improve overall health, could you teach her to snatch? Yes. But how much time is it going to take you to develop those motor skills with a 60-year-old from scratch? And of that time, how could that be better spent with other exercises that would be at the same level of effectiveness, if not more?
1: Yeah. And like I said, it's, it all comes down to goals and appropriation. I mean, that's, that's realistically what it is whenever you know, you're, you're choosing movements yeah. that you should be doing. So we do a lot of Olympic lifting at our gym because people like it. But I hear exactly what you're saying is that, you know, is this time spent on this movement as beneficial as if we were spending unless we were spending it on something else is like it takes how many hours to learn how to proficiently do a snatch. And it's like, could those hundreds of hours have been spent fixing other holes or areas of your fitness that are more low hanging fruit? Sure, yeah. And I mean, listen, I love
0: Olympic lifting as much as anyone. I mean, that was that was my background. That was your background. Um, And I loved and I loved coaching it. Um, but I also appreciate the time and energy it takes to be able to do it right. Um so, and I don't think there's anything wrong with including it in your gym, but I'm sure you know you do a really good job of helping discern between which clients it's appropriate for versus not. Right. Um now we talked a little bit about you know, your experience inside of your own CrossFit gym, but you've also, you know, been out and experienced some other CrossFit gyms. What do you see as some of the more common mistakes that gyms and coaches are making?
1: So this is, this is actually a very hard question because I, I don't like to say that we at Beyond Parallel are the best hands down gym. There's no other way to do it. There's so many different ways to do CrossFit that it really depends on your clientele. Now, me as an athlete, I know I get frustrated whenever I go to other gyms and I have to drop into a class. They don't have open gym. I can't follow my own programming, so I just got to drop into a class. When there's a 25, 30-minute warm-up, you know, an eight-minute Metcon, and then a cool-down party, um, I just feel like a lot of times gyms sometimes drop the ball on, like, delivering the full service, and they get too caught up up in, like, the... um, Maybe, like, the more traditional... CrossFit style of programming. Um, I don't want to say it as in like a bad thing, but depending on what clientele you're trying to, I guess you can say touch and what your regular clientele is. I feel like inside of gyms, the programming is kind of all over the place, but also the coaching. So sometimes you like, not everybody wants to pay for an hour class. If they're only going to be really exercising for 10 to 15 minutes and I think consistency in a program and systems that are going to allow them to progress and get stronger and get more durable are important. And a lot of people don't take the time to understand those. So sometimes I feel like people take the cop out where it's like, oh, I could just follow this program because it's easy to coach. It's easy for people to follow along with. It's written out for me. So I don't have to take the time to do the programming. And like I said, any gym that you go to is different. I've been to some phenomenal gyms that I would recommend anybody to go to, yours being one of them, you guys do a tremendous job. But I've also been to a few bad gyms where it's like, okay, I feel like I just paid for an hour and only received eight minutes. And that's one of the things that drives me crazy. And then also just like the lack of coaching where I feel like a lot of times gym owners hire coaches so they don't have to do things themselves, but they don't do the proper jobs of making sure that they're hiring coaches they're hiring and people onboarding with, them correctly and onboarding them correctly they're not hiring coaches they're hired they're hiring a certificate so they're hiring somebody who has right. this status of being able to coach but they have not yet been taught how to properly coach they just say three two one go nice job you're doing great there's no there's no helping there's no assisting and that's that's the one thing that gives crossfit a bad vibe I would agree.
0: I think that there's also uh, there's always been a point of contention around how to best fill the hour because I know that there is um, a big philosophy that has uh, been kind of, I don't know, primal-esque in the CrossFit community, which mm-hmm. is you can take a workout like Fran and extend it out over the course of an hour because you can really break down all the minutiae of each movement. But yeah. again, I come back to like, well, what's the opportunity cost of that? And is that actually to the greater benefit of the person in the class? And is that enjoyable? Like does someone wanna play with a PVC pipe for 45 minutes going over thrusters? Probably not. Are there better things they could be doing before doing Fran? Probably. Are you gonna be doing too much for that athlete? Well, it highly depends on what the workout is, right? Like you can have a day that has a strength piece that is actually lighter but includes tempo, and then have some sort of aerobic capacity work that is in, you know, let's say uh, a zone three where they're not just going, you know, balls to the wall all out. And then finish with some, like, very hyper-focused accessory work targeting some of the larger muscle groups yeah. or the, the, pri- the secondary movers to some of the primary stuff they touched of, uh, um, to, to start the day. So it's like you can incorporate a lot inside of an hour. You just have to be really yes. strategic with the way that you plan it
1: that and you have to have all of your coaches on board on how to control the flow of class because if you have somebody who draws things out and talks too much and isn't good at keeping their classes moving safely but yet effectively um it is very easy to over program and to give people more than they can handle so i mean honestly the biggest thing with crossfit is programming if you have yep. an owner or a coach that real that really can sit down and write out a well thought out program that puts you into A progression that fits in the hour you're not always like some classes are finishing 40 minutes in and it's like hey i paid for an hour i got 20 minutes left what's going on and you're not always drowning that class out where you're finishing 10 15 minutes late it's like the people who are really really good at running a successful gym or programming they can get it to the point where it's like okay we have our warm-up we have all of our pieces for the day everything fits exactly in an hour i included whiteboard breakdown i included movement standards, I included PVC pipe sessions, I included everything that I need, and they come in for the best hour of their day. That's, that's, like, that's my goal every time is, I hate to quote the podcast. But like, (laughs) like, like, honestly, that is my goal is I want all my members to come in and feel like this is the best hour of my day. And you know, whether I started or finish it this way, or it's in the middle, like, I look forward to coming to this place. Yeah. They feel like they're a better person when they leave than them. Exactly. Came in. And I've been noticing yep. that we're achieving that because we've been, so we're a two brain business and I know you are too. You're a two brain business. Yep. So, um, we, we signed up after the summit. I saw you at the summit. I was sold. So I signed up on the two brain. I went through all the processes. So we've been doing a lot of NSIs, no sweat intros. I don't even have to like prompt my members. If somebody hears me talking to somebody in the front end every single time, somebody steps in and grabs something out of their bag and they're like, hey man, you need to join this place. Like I'm in the best shape of my life. I love this place. I've been to five other gyms. I've never had an experience like this. Like last week it happened twice, two different occasions. I never said a word to any of my members that like they have to do that. I'm just having a conversation with a new person. And all of a sudden someone who is one of my paying clients steps in and goes, you need to do this because I say it's the best thing I've ever done. And that's like, that's like my heartfelt like, Yes. Like, it's the best, man. I don't even it's have to best. sell this person because he just did it for me.
0: Yeah. And it takes someone from like a cold lead to a warm lead like that. hundred you know? percent. Yeah. Because now it's like they have someone vouching that you clearly like it's very obvious you're not paying for this person to say anything. They're not standing up there waiting for you to get out of your no sweat intro to be like, hey, like I get a referral right. fee, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, so, no, that's awesome. And we we experience the same thing. And and it um, it definitely warms my heart, too, when the, the members are very quick to take on. Um, whether it be like someone coming in from a no sweat intro or it's like their first class and they're like, Oh, Hey, like I'm Sarah. It's so nice to meet you. Like, you're going to love this place. If you need any help holler, you know? And I feel like that type of community is just very warming and welcoming for new people.
1: And that's how it always should be. I built my community that way. And you know, I, uh, the biggest thing that we get from people who change to us from other gyms is the fact that everybody is so inclusive and so welcoming no matter what class you go to. And sometimes I feel like CrossFit, communities get so clicky, where it's like, if you're not a part of like, the group, and you're like, this is your first time stepping into a class, or maybe you're just like, um, like a drop in is like, it's so easy to get used to being part of like the, like the click or like, the, like, like the Kool-Aid club, or however you want to describe it, where sometimes that part, if you don't like control that community can honestly ruin a gym um and i've seen it happen to so many people where it's like they let a crowd of people control what happens inside of the gym and then it just ruins the whole dynamic and i'm very fortunate we've never had to deal with that cuz like i try to control not control that but like i don't let people like not include other people like i set the tone they walk yeah. in the door i say hello so my members say hello i introduce them to class so they introduce themselves it's like you have to set the tone as the owner the coach like the leader is that that's the community you need to build, not the, you know, the 5.30 a.m. crews, the 5.30 a.m. crew and then the 4.30 p.m. crews, the 4.30 p.m. crew. It's like, I don't have crews, I have a gym and we're all together in this, so.
0: Yeah, I love it. Um, and, and for so many years, that was us too. Um, one thing I did realize, however, is once you get to a certain point, when you grow above um, that 150 mark, yeah, clicks are inevitable. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is you have to define them you create clicks around like nutrition groups and like uh, people that are involved with specific things in the gym. And like now it's like based on healthy things and you can create these like, um, you can create these like communication bases between those groups. So it's like you're facilitating and creating systems around those clicks rather than it being naturally formed based on, you know, based on like stupid reasons and people wanting to be
1: overly competitive with other members. Yep, And I will say that like, I'm starting to see that now, like my nutrition group and my personal training group is growing because like people talk, people share, people are friends with each other. And it's like, it's crazy to see. It's like, Hey, um, Darlene told me that I need to do personal training because you've been helping her with this. So I'm signing up for a personal training session now. And it's like, it's crazy how those, it's like a healthy kind of click or communication. It's not like a toxic one where people feel like, oh, I can't do that because she told me I can't. It's like now people are saying, hey, no, like you need to come over here to do this because it's working for me. And I think that's just like the coolest thing about the fitness industry. When you do it right, it's like so beneficial to everyone around.
0: Oh, 100 percent. Agree. Um, so we, we alluded or you alluded um, quickly to the fact that you had um, experienced some injuries and are yes. on your way coming back, building yourself back up. Uh, We don't need to dive into all the specifics with the injuries, but um, you know, how are things now? What's next for you? And will we see Ethan Helbig again at the (laughs) big stage? So
1: things are going well. Um, I'm dealing with an old knee injury that we're still working through. It it comes and goes. Um, We're having really good progress with it. So I'm at the point now where I can do every movement. Um, Sometimes our focus on certain days, if I'm having a little bit of a flare up or an issue, has to be more like this is where the maturity side comes in. I have to know when to push and when not to and when to maybe even sub things out. Like, it's crazy to think that even at a games level that like we sub things out when something's not feeling right or isn't going the way that it should be. Because if you could be doing- That's an important
0: point for people to understand.
1: Yes. So like, if I'm having a bad day on something, I'm not just going to push to the point where I re-injure myself. I might even text or call my coach or like make the game day decision myself where it's like, Okay, I need to work on this instead, because this is what's going to get me to the point where I can do this tomorrow, where if I do it today, it could be the reason I have to take another step back. Um, so between that, and then my accident last year, where I, I sprained both of my wrists, everything's back to healthy, we're feeling really good, I can do every movement through its full capacity again, which is awesome. Um we're just being a little bit smarter with how we train and how we beat the body up a little bit. So, I mean, obviously with training, you have to kind of beat yourself up a little bit, but not to the point where it's an actual injury. It's more just like the intensity and the volume in which that you can handle on a daily basis. Um, I would love to say that, yes, one day I will be a repeat games athlete. Um, but you know, I'm 26, I'll be 27. I got another three to four years. My goal is to focus on it one year at a time. So realistically, we're taking the same approach now that we took the first time is I didn't go to regional saying this is the year I qualify for the games. I went to regional saying this is going to be my best regionals performance ever. And the goal is that next year we can go to a semifinal and I can put in another one of those. I'm not putting the cart before the horse. I'm going to show up and I'm going to give my absolute best performance that I can at a semifinal and if the programming and the cards lie where I can return we'll be we'll be more prepared this time don't you worry last time we weren't prepared um we just had a couple issues we had to deal with where now we learned now we know this time when when we go back it's going to be a different a different game so
0: that's awesome man well hey um obviously I'm rooting for you and uh it's been Super awesome watching you grow the gym. And I'm excited that you're part of the two-brain group. Now we'll definitely oh. have to jam on that
1: sometime soon. Best decision I ever made. If any gym owners are listening, I'm being serious. I didn't want to make the leap. It was, it was a, a big figure that I wasn't mentally prepared for. Me and my business partners, I have two business partners. They're both 10% each, but I make a lot of the final decisions. Um, we made the switch to two-brain. This is not, they didn't tell me to say this. Best decision I ever made. So if you're thinking yep. about it, I, on I the fence, that up. yeah, make the decision. I mean, we have seen more than enough return on revenue to make it worth the time. So don't be afraid. Make the leap. They will put the systems in place. I think that's true of all mentorship, right? You just got to find the right one. Yeah, even as an athlete, you need to find the mentor and the coach that's going to be the best for you and. Yep. you know it, it's not the same in every division or every category but i think a lot of times people are afraid to have somebody like helping and telling them what to do don't you you can't do everything by yourself yeah you know, i don't care how good yep. you are at being an individual you need somebody to bounce ideas off of and to give you direction no matter what you're doing
0: yeah agreed well ethan thank you so much for hopping on and, and uh, giving us your time um I know course. the audience took a lot out of this and it was a lot of fun obviously catching up with you. I saw you at the Two Brain um business convention but it was yep. really cool hopping on here and having a little bit more time to jam. Um tell everybody where they can find out more about you.
1: Yeah, so my main communication is honestly Instagram. Um I don't have a TikTok. Sorry guys, I don't really like TikTok. Not my favorite platform. Uh Instagram at EthanHelbig35. It's my old hockey number. Everyone always asks what the 35 means. Um, my gym page is bpgyms.com. So B as in boy, P as in party, gyms as in like GYMS.com. Fairly simple. Um, other than that, I just, you can, you can send me a message on Instagram. I'm pretty responsive. I'm pretty friendly. If you have any questions, uh, it could be about business. It could be about, you know, training, coaching, I mean, whatever it is you want. So that's my main source of like, like media and communication. I try not to do Facebook unless it's something for the business. That's honestly the only reason I have it anymore. Um, but yeah, Instagram is the best way to get a hold of me. Cool, man. Well, hey, thanks so much for hopping on.